Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, did seven spoil 10's Melbourne Cup? Has nine finally chosen the new host of A Current Affair? And 10 brings back local news, but not as you know it. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is TV Black Box. Bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello there, I'm Rob McKnight and welcome to another episode of TV Black Box. I'll introduce the panel in just a wee moment, but first, it was on this day 19 years ago that the world fell in love with the Bluth family. (gasps) Now the story of a wealthy family who lost everything and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. That's right, in two 2003, Arrested Development premiered on Fox, uh, but it was cancelled after three seasons before being rebooted in 2013 on Netflix. Rolling Stone and Time both named it one of the greatest TV shows ever, and it is said to have influenced other series like Community and Robbo's favourite, 30 Rock. (laughs) All right, let's meet the panel. David, Robbo Robinson, 30 Rock, it's like you're a genie or a bad omen. You suddenly appear when we mention 30 Rock. (laughs) I really do, and Weirdly, I watched the first scenes of I Dream of Jeannie, which I've never seen before, and it, it was really fun and exciting. So, yeah, I, I'm happy to for anyone to rub my lamp. When were we talking about I Dream of Jeannie? No, but you just said that, like, I was, you know, thinking oh, about the first. right, that we, we say your name three times. Well, isn't that more like Shazam or something? Oh, no, um, Beetlejuice. That's more like Beetlejuice. Yeah, but I'm just trying to connect it back to telly, you know. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just trying to help you here, mate. It sounds anyway. more like The Ring, if you ask me. All right. He is the man who advocates for the viewers. We call him the viewer's advocate. Hello, Mulk. How are you? Rob, it's great to be back, and it's wonderful to notice that in my short absence, you still haven't scripted the intros like you promised. Uh, no, I asked the team to script them, and they still haven't. <laughs> so what is it you script now? <laughs> he brings the showbiz, the Shapaz. Is it Shapaz? He wrote that for me, actually. Sorry, he wrote that for me. Uh, and good. look, enough of this silliness, because it is the welcome return of a TV black box legend, no less, he now works for the age, and so he's all too fancy usually for TV black box, but he's here tonight, Stephen Brookie. Brook, welcome back, Yay. my friend. What? 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 Call me the David yeah. Tennant of TV black box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lovely to see you chaps once more. And I'll just say, once a hot mess, always a hot mess. <laughs> what a great regeneration by you, Brookie. Well done. Yeah, well, I'm sure 
We'll be talking a bit about Doctor Who. Actually, it's the whole reason he decided to come on. To, he needed I to have, share his thoughts I with have the many thoughts in a trademark phrase by Malk. Many thoughts. All right, let's get into it. We look forward to hearing what you have to say tonight. Because it's known as the race that stops the nation, but the Melbourne Cup is stopping less and less people every year. Channel 10 broadcast the big race earlier this week, and now the numbers are in. Only 1.35 million people tuned into the race, according to Oztem Ratings data. That's almost 350,000 fewer than last year, and it was also the lowest volume of viewers since records began two decades ago. On top of that, many were vocal online that they had actually watched the wrong race entirely. That's because Channel 7 was simultaneously broadcasting horse races from Sydney on Tuesday. And yes, instead of the Melbourne Cup, it was the big dance in Sydney that garnered viewers. Malk, clever strategy from Seven. Uh, What do you make of this? I've got to say, I went into my hairdresser on... Oh, I've got a haircut on Tuesday afternoon, and they had Channel 7 on. Kevin Perry took a photo of his milk bar. They had Channel 7. It was a big switcheroo, and people fell for it. Yeah, I I think it it certainly will have spoiled it a little bit, though, given the very low ratings for Seven's racing coverage uh, that day. Not heaps. Um, It's probably reflected, and just a quick uh, uh, catch-up, Rob, it was 1.024 million for the race uh, on 10, according to Oztam. Um, the number that you've given may have been updated by 10's media release um, to suggest that the numbers were different, but the official Austin was 1.024 million for the race on Tuesday. Uh, Mug, I think that might be national figures and you're talking five cap city, but sure. either way, figures were down. Yep. You're right, Rob. It's diabolical no matter which way you slice and dice it for 10. That is the lowest Melbourne Cup coverage since Oztam started covering uh, the ratings in, what, 2001. I think Sevens will have spoiled it a bit. I certainly didn't tune in. I know there's also a, a big push, at least across social media, to say nup to the cup. A lot of people don't want to tune in. Given that we are in that sort of post-COVID-ish pretending like it's not around anymore phase, a lot more people will have been out at yeah. pubs and bars and venues watching it. So that will take away from the figure um, that yeah, otherwise... it's not a true number. Oh, look, it's it's true-ish. Let's go there. It's the number of people that watched using their Austin boxes. That's the number that we yeah. go by. But, again, as you say, not the ones in pubs, clubs and all those... Uh, and hairdressers and all that kind 40 of stuff. 40 million people watched on Tuesday afternoon based on that. Right. Um, Brookie, you love your Melbourne Cup. You couldn't, uh, when we were talking about recording on Tuesday, you're like, I can't, it's Melbourne Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I Um, was there, that is true. Uh, But I do think we need to emphasise Malk's point. More than any other sporting event, I feel, maybe apart from the Football World Cup, this is an event that is viewed by people out of homes. Mm. Uh, I think that there has been one of the big changes has been that this has become more and more a social event. Obviously, everyone in Melbourne gets a public holiday, a day off, and can do what they like. They're not really home. But I've noticed more and more that uh, Sydney siders are taking the opportunity to turn the whole thing into a very long lunch. So they're going out to restaurants. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, they friend of the podcast, themselves. Joe Casamento, seemed to be always hosting a Melbourne Cup function <laughs> in years gone past. No, that's just a normal Tuesday for her. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point being that the figures are not picking up 
how popular the race really is. I agree. Uh, Robbo, of course, the big thing everyone was going on about was why is Eddie Maguire on 10's coverage? Simple answer is he's not, uh, you know, these network deals aren't a thing anymore and he's obviously just a, a contractor to nine for when he does programs for them. Well, look, I want to say he's the Jackie McDonald of our time. So if you remember back in the day, Jackie McDonald could read Channel 10 News in Brisbane, but was also on Hey Hey at Saturday on Channel 9. And we're going back to that kind of wonderful golden age, but only in that respect. This is the problem, though. <laughs> Ten, Ten has had this since 2019 and still hasn't penetrated the market enough to show the market that the race is on their channel. People are still going yeah. to seven. That's a big problem. So if we were sitting here talking about 10 having it for the first year, of course we'd expect some kind of hangover. Of course we would think, oh, there, there'll be a, a, a few people or a lot of people. We're three years in to this mm. agreement and people are still turning on to seven and not to 10 for the big race. That's a big problem for level five at Piermont. Uh, but but well, the, the weird thing gonna... about Level 5 at PM1 is that they don't really care about what the audience thinks. They just like to think that they know what's best. <laughs> that, yes. It is a big thing for 10. That no, they... no, no. Don't cut that out. We, just, a, don't, that's we a... just don't need to bitch about them all the time. You do. No, I, don't. I do it every so often. Okay. <laughs> a point yeah, that I'd like need... to make is a whole-of-sport approach to network programming. So if you want to have the Melbourne Cup... Ideally, you have a lot of other races that back up that schedule, so you become known as the racing mm. channel. I think 10 has failed to do that. Clearly, there's still a lot of racing on at 7. Similar thing with cricket. You want, if you're a network who's going after the Ashes, you want as much cricket as possible. Similarly, with 9 and the tennis, they've got the Australian Open. They have been, over the past couple of years, gradually trying to build up their tennis portfolio so they have all of that similarly if you are going after the olympics i think you want a lot of feeder events such as the swimming and the athletics and world championships Mm. because viewers just get confused otherwise and i think that's clearly what's happened with 10 and horse racing and and i think the challenge to some of that brookie and not just for 10 but for all of the commercial networks is that trying to block out all of those sports is just so bloody expensive these days. Yeah. All right. Well, we've had nine, we've had ten, and now Seven and SBS have had their turn to unveil their programming for 2023. Let's start with Seven. Among the big shows returning are The Voice, Farmer Wants a Wife, My Kitchen Rules, SAS, and a singles-only version of Big Brother. But here's what's new, all returning after a long hiatus in 2023. (laughs) Australian Idol will make a triumphant return, promising live episodes as the series unfolds. The wonderful world of balloon artistry, yes, you heard me right, is highlighted with a new competition called Blow Up. Robbo's long-standing favourite in Million Dollar Island is still on the cards, fronted by Ant Middleton. Comedian Jim Jeffries will host a new game show, The 1% Club, which asks contestants not about general knowledge, but instead to use logic and common sense. New drama series, The Claremont Murder, stems from a real-life disappearance of three young women in Perth in the late 1990s, which launched a monumental 25-year investigation. New comedy series, We Interrupt This Broadcast, promises to reboot and revitalise a long-standing and near-forgotten Australian tradition taking the piss out of everything, including ourselves. Con Girl is a new limited documentary series about one of Australia's most cunning serial con artists. And finally, 
Animals Abroad with Dr. Harry, which is all about animals as they travel around the world. Uh, Mulk, let's take a step back. You and I both went to the upfronts and you can yes. hear the interview with Angus Ross, the head of Seven's programming department. He talks about the upfronts in the last episode of TV Black Box. But Mulk, it was an interesting affair because it was basically a cinema experience watching the Seven Upfronts. It didn't have the razzle-dazzle of, uh, certainly, of Nine. Yeah, it, it was a bit weird. The the assembled guests were split into three of the Hoyts cinemas at uh, the Entertainment Quarter at, at what is now Disney Studios Australia. Uh, and there was a di- an introduction given by three different executives to the three different rooms, and then they pressed play. And we got to see a 85-ish minute, here's what's coming for Seven. And, and look, a great pitch to advertisers, absolutely rammed home Seven's point of difference around why they're the place that you would want to advertise with them. I thought that their content schedule is uh, absolutely lacking a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics. It just looks a bit on the light side, quite is frankly. Is that because you've just gotten used to them having that? Uh, well, no, because it, we've had the case where there should have been a year off in 2021 anyway. But mm. if you remember, we got a, it was the Olympics, I think, got bounced because yep. of COVID. Um, so I guess there's an element of that. But even when we think about their 23 schedule, one drama. They have one Aussie drama coming next year. Yeah, but have, you know what? I actually came away thinking they had a pretty good lineup. They were building on the strengths that they've got, not keen on balloon animals. And heaps of reality. The hot, uh, yeah, heaps of reality. But they're trying comedy at 730 yep. Yep. That's going to be – I really hope it works because – So do I. Great I'm cast. scared. That the, the, the promo wasn't great, but I want it to work because I'd like to see comedy. And, look, they're realising the reality TV bubble is bursting. Um, I tell you what, though, Big Brother's going to burst it's because stink. Making, making it about singles and the house of love, I have no interest. And you all know how much I love – I love me a bit of Big Brother. I think – not interested at all. The most telling part of that conversation you had with um, uh, Angus, and it was a great conversation, Rob, was you pressing him about the fact that the, in the UK they're going mm. back to trying old school live, you know, as live Big Brother, um, you know, multiple, like just running in consecutive. Uh, and I think, to be frank, that would probably transform Seven if they decided to go that hard for four, five, six, eight weeks, however long they wanted to run the season. Because that live element, the fact that we have digital TV and streaming is so much better than it was back when they used to run it. It's got a real potential and an energy that could absolutely upset their competitors. Uh, I think the more reality, more game show stuff is going to be hit and miss. Um, Excellent that they are doing an Aussie drama, but I I, want to give it, I want to make sure that we point out that it's not just seven that are light on in Aussie drama. Nine and ten, both very light, given the conversation we are about to have. But Aussie drama isn't raining. I can't I, I can't blame them. But one more thing on Big Brother, if I may. I really feel like the push for this format is coming from Endemol, Shine Australia. Mm-hmm. They do not want to go to the Big Brother original format that the UK are using. And this was their... This was give us one more go. We'll do House of Love. It'll be really cool. Mm. Um, the on the wall for this. that dating stuff, though. We've seen the Bachelor and Bachelorette fall on its ass. I don't think the Bachelors is going to do Maybe anything special for Maybe this got up before 10. the bubble burst on those. 
Are we talking, oh, I mean, the, the way you've outlined it, Malk, is, is exciting, and obviously the Brits would do that very well, with Channel 4 made Big Brother under that live format. Yep. Is this clearly or just simply an expense issue because doing that... I didn't get that feeling from Angus. So what's, what was there any, what was his justification for the decision, or was there one? Well, it, it's, I know that Endemol have really pushed this format. It they wanted this format to be it. accepted around the world, right? So I don't know if they did a deal with Seven that it had to be this format. I, I, I think they did, but I think it's now at the point where Big Brother will go away unless in 2024 it goes back to the live format. This next series, it is a shorter run, and... I think it's going to bomb big time. So, Rob, do you think that this is a test market? Then are we are we the test market? We for absolutely this? were. Looks they were like hoping hmm. because it, it was a, it was Australians who came up with this revised format, and they were it was their way of revitalising the see. format. And they were hoping that Canada, US, and UK would pick up sure. what they've done. The the UK not picking it up is a huge thing because it hasn't set the world on fire here. I really liked the new format. But to be honest, by the end of the last season, I was getting over it and yeah. I I found myself really craving the original format. And seriously, when they put the casting call out for singles, I just went, fuck off. I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. The other the other big ticket item Agreed. that comes out of it, Rob, is, is and, and we all knew that Australian Idol was coming to seven. That That's not the surprise that they are absolutely committed to once the auditions and they are all getting taped now, next year they will go to the live Sunday, I assume Sunday night, um, performance and uh, I guess elimination or eviction format for Australian Idol. Um, that is is that gonna format be a, going to be a viewer vote? I, I, is my understanding, Brookie, yes. How they'll handle it, I don't know, but my understanding is that the it, because it's live, it will allow the audience... To, to get behind, you know, their favourite artist in the same kind of way. And that's going to be really critical because what is live after the news right now? It's not much if it's not sport. I can't wait for the return of live TV to Seven. It's going to be great. Yeah, I think they'll do a really great job on it. I, I think there'll be lots of people tune into this season rubbernecking. They'll be seeing how it goes and, and probably stick because of it. Um, I don't know if it will beat maths but I think it'll give it a red-hot shake. When the world is dominated by live streams, whether you're on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, anything like that, when it's dominated by live streams and then you have this kind of archaic show that used to be or used to have the ability to to beam live to you and they no longer do it, that's the problem. So it ages Big Brother instantly. Mm. The problem is they need to make it live. We're they need there. to make mm, okay. it as as live as possible. So we know that the, the daily shows, we, we're always used to that. They are edited. That's fine. But we need to have more live content because the people that are trying to get to watch it are used to going, uh, who are my favourite people? I can watch them live. I can watch them live. This is just archaic uh, programming once again from a very old industry trying to be new but not seeing the writing on the wall. And the writing is on the wall yeah. with every other uh, media content provider. And, again, I'm going to repeat them, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Twitch. They're all live. 
and the, and yet this thing is not life. But and yet though we are told we are watching these people in a house and we are responding to them and we can see what they're doing and and their interaction. Well, we're not. No, it, it, it's it, so it, produced it, it's, beyond it's, it's belief. It's almost produced. Yeah, that, exactly. It is produced beyond belief. And yet they're trying to compete in the same marketplace. And weirdly, shock me, it doesn't work. And that's and that's really the hallmark of certainly seven, a fair chunk of nine and a fair chunk of tens schedules for next year. Highly produced, in the can weeks to months before it goes to air. Just rubbish. And we, as an audience, we're just switching off because of it. Because we know what we want. Yep. Here's what I'm going to do. You know how I always bang on about the 9pm issue? Yes. Uh, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I did a pitch to some networks about a 9pm show. I'm going to post the whole pitch on the TV Black Box yes. website. And next week we can, in this podcast, we can come and talk about it and you can give your verdict. Brilliant. And all can, honest opinions. Yes, Mark, if you don't like it, no, no, you no, can I mean, say it. Can I pre-record it? Because I'm not here next week. Ah. No, no, we're, we're talk- <laughs> That's what we're going against. No, it's we're not pre-recording live, for Christ's sake. <laughs> We're doing it live, damn it. You know who was right? Bill O'Reilly. All those years ago, he was right. And that is exactly what all programmers of Australian television should listen to, and that is Bill O'Reilly. Do it live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. (laughs) Love it. All right. We've talked seven. Now let's talk the SBS up front. Mark, you've been a busy boy because you were at those two. I didn't get to the SBS up front. Take us through it. You're very fortunate to be at the SBS up front where they delivered their what's become now traditional lunchtime up front where they they again moved into the cutaway at Barangaroo Reserve uh, and it was just tables and tables and tables of us sitting down having amazing food, hearing the story. There's lots of good stuff coming out of SBS, not least of which is uh, from an advertising point of view, they are moving into uh, using the Adobe platform around data capture for user information to share with advertisers, which is, I appreciate de rigueur, within the industry now, but a really important step for SBS to to become more attractive in the way they want to engage advertisers in their product. As a half government or part government funded and part commercial funded enterprise, SBS need to have that advertising revenue for SBS On Demand, all their streaming, uh, and of course their, their live content. Three Australian dramas coming out of SBS next year. Um, the first one, probably the 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 High Line is a, a, a drama called Safe Home. It's written by Imogen Banks, who was the, uh, the award-winning producer behind Offspring, uh, and it stars um, Aisha D and Virginia Gay and another actress that I cannot remember. It is about a young lawyer moving, becoming a part of a domestic violence, um, not advocacy, but like legal support service and getting embroiled in a murder because of it. And it looks red hot. Absolutely amazing. Um, While the men are away is a story of Australian women during World War II and the stuff that they got up to and how they survived both in their actual working lives and in their romantic lives um, while the men were away. Uh, And then the other Australian drama is an anthology series called Erotic Stories with, quote, an SBS twist. Hold on, hold on. 
Lots Mocky, Mocky, that's I, I'm asking for my teenage self. Sure. Uh, will there still be uh, the yellow subtitles with a little bit of titty on a Friday night <laughs> that me and my mates can watch? Mate, is that what you're talking about? They went years yes. ago, Robbo. The answer no, is I know, yes. but that's... It sounds yeah, like they're bringing it back, though. Yeah, that's what I like. Soccer. I like to hear it. Yeah. That's what we want. More <laughs> sex before soccer. I, I um, can't wait for that one. Um, yes. I just want to yes, see some aioles with my, with my soccer goals. That's all I want to see. For those of us on the panel who didn't have the benefit of, of SBS's hospitality largesse down at Barangaroo, which Mock clearly did, do we feel that our uh, special broadcasting service has a bit of a visibility problem in this day and age? Because, Brilliant. you know, back when the old five-channel setup of the 1980s, it had its place and it had quite a good place. Now in the... Especially on a Friday night. Yeah. That's <laughs> discussed. Uh, now, you know, digital streaming, global competitors... It's harder and harder for SBS to do the job that it's, you know, it's government charter mandates that it should yeah. do. But you've got to look at what they're doing this year in that they are actually providing quite a bit of interesting content. And, Mog, what was that line that they've never before commissioned three primetime dramas or something? What, what's the line? Oh, I think I think that's three primetime Australian dramas, yeah. original Australian dramas. Brilliant. And that's... Yeah. More than I think it's more than nine and ten. Sorry, nine and seven combined. Um, coming I, into twenty twenty three, with the schedule or the quality of what they're mm. going to produce, I'm just wondering if they're going to be able to successfully get eyeballs to it. Well, it's interesting, Brookie, because SBS have always um, led from the front when it comes to streaming. SBS on demand has been uh, a, a, an award winning and uh, pioneering platform when it comes to delivering content onto as many screens as you can physically watch it on. And they are finding more and more. We're seeing it this year, for example, with The Handmaid's Tale, which has been <gasps> a monster success in catch up after Praise pulling be. sort of anywhere between two and 400 on late Thursday nights. Made it's pulling open. 600%, 700% catch up. Yeah. Um, the Handmaid's Tale is how I want to run the TV Black Box podcast. Some say I already do. Probably. Uh, <laughs> There's one other thing I need to add in about the, the SBS story. Of course, they do news in a, a, you know, 30, 40, 50 languages, so all of that is highly available. They've rebranded SBS Radio to be SBS Audio, acknowledging that they now do a lot of podcast content as well. And in early December, NITV celebrates 10 years as a part oh, that's of awesome. SBS's yeah, well broadcasting suite, and they are Good going job. big with that. There's going to be a big concert uh, from yeah. Uluru to celebrate that. It's going to be massive. Brilliant. And you know what I want to see? The big mob brekkie to go all year, oh, or 40 weeks it would a be year, great. Yeah. all year round. Yeah. And, yep. and SBS, you don't have to do the the tens of millions of dollars like the other networks. You just, there is a way to do that show. It's a great little show yep. and they really could do that on the cheap and it's a disservice not to do it. It shouldn't just be during NADOC week because it's a really good fun show. Yeah. Can I yep. just point out, Rob, that uh, along with, yes, there has been those questions even at the media briefing about Big Mob Brecky being more than just NIDOC week um, yep. and, and completely reasonably so. There is a raft of other content. Who the bloody hell are we? Comedy with John Safran, Cal Wilson and Adam Leo looking at migrants to Australia and what that lives looks like. Alone Australia is coming to SBS, filmed in the Tasmanian wilderness. Um, they've got stuff. Look, the best way to do it is to have a look at um, tvblackbox.com.au and have a look at the uh, the SBS Upfront article uh, mm. because it's just a ton of more than we can cover here. 
Yeah, it's where people in the industry get their news, so you should too. All right, Q&A is making a big change, but will it be enough to save the struggling show? After two years of dire ratings, the panel show on the ABC is returning, shock horror, to Monday nights at 9.35. In a statement, the ABC said, Looking ahead to next year's schedule, we want to ensure the program is given its best chance to garner the strongest audience it can. I'm not sure that's how the ABC talks, Rob. I think it is how they speak. I'm not sure that it is. <laughs> that, that is how they talk, in my mind. Um, <laughs> look, can we just get something clear, Brookie? Q&A was failing before it moved to Thursday nights, and that sort of became the death knell. I don't think this is going to save it. You are correct. And the justification for moving it to Thursday nights was not merely a change of day, but a change of time slot because the show was deemed to be expensive to produce. And the theory went that if you have a 9.30 or 9.35 audience after Four Corners and Media Watch, that will be a smaller audience than you can potentially get on 8.30 when you have more people watching, but that clearly didn't work because ratings continued to decline. And let's face it, Media Watch is an incredibly popular show, which people tune in for, but it was clear that Tony Jones But ratings don't matter to the ABC. Uh, Yes, they don't. Yes, they do. (laughs) Of course they do. We all know it's bullshit. Did you read the latest board report? We, we all know that the uh, ABC executives scurry around when the ratings drop with as much fervour as the, their commercial counterparts. Yes, yes, yes. I think now with this move back, it's going to be a really good opportunity for Q&A to work out entirely what sort of program it wants to be um, and whether it has strayed from first principles. The show has always been... I think, controversial, but it was controversial with an audience. Now it's uh, controversial and polarising, but without that audience. So whether that's because... It is... It, it, it Basically, when the new EP came and the new host, when... Da- um, when What's his name left? Who am I thinking of? Tony, Tony Jones. Jones left, was host, replaced by yeah. Hamish McDonald. They basically didn't want to do the show that they were doing. We want to do our own thing. They didn't think about what the audience liked about the show and they neglected the audience and they put themselves first. And that is the big mistake. Q&A has now, is now not part of the national conversation. It is not interesting. And if it's you in the don't wrong place ask to start. a woke question, you get thrown out oh, of the no, audience. It's not, not if for Stan a second. Grant doesn't like can your we, question, honestly, out by the lugs, even if you're being reasonable. Can we, not, can we not even go down that path for a second, well, right? Well, it's true, Mark. That's your one woke mention per episode done, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think that, I mean, this, we're, we're not running this podcast like Q&A where you ban certain topics or discussions, Mulk. So sure. I think that, you know, Rob, and you should duke it out on this. I, I think that Rob's banging on, uh, you know, a, a fence paling that he's been trying to have a swing at for a while. I think the challenge for Q&A is that it was failing before they moved it. It was struggling, even yeah, on the way, even on the way with Tony Jones before he exited. Oh, no, it was. It, the, the best days of Q&A were behind it at that point. Um, and to move to Thursday meant that it actually went against what Q&A offered to both the ABC and 
I guess, you know, the, the Australian audience and the media writ large was that in Monday nights, it has the opportunity to not set, but highlight the political agendas for the week, to be engaged in some of those big questions and expand and develop some of the stuff that is flying around out of Canberra, particularly. And a move to Thursday meant that it became irrelevant. It's too late by Thursday to talk about that stuff. I I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think it just became a shit show. And Robbo's biting his pillow. He's eager to get something out. He's biting the the, (laughs) the pen. He's holding on. He's desperate to jump in. How many times have I said this? It's got nothing to do with where the time slot is of Q&A. The problem is, is that it's been affected by everyone being offended and the left wing, right wing of, of Twitter. So if they do one thing, they're attacked by the left wing. If they do... The other thing, they're attacked by the right wing. The problem with Q&A is it doesn't matter where it's put. It doesn't matter what time it's broadcast. What they need to do is actually have really robust discussions and debate. So what they're doing is, when it, so Alan Jones came on. I'm sorry to tell everyone, but there is a, a large proportion of society who likes what Alan Jones says and, and agrees with it. So there should be a debate with people like him. So you That's a really get, interesting point because... This show keeps listening to Twitter too much, which is interesting because that's where it got a lot of its bang for buck. But that's Robert, what I'm saying, Twitter determine the conversations and the narrative. That's exactly what I'm saying. So the problem is, is that Q and A before before Twitter. No, you didn't. Uh, before Twitter. <laughs> And before that, the power of that kind of social media is that it, it did work. So it's got nothing to do with hosts. Except, it's got nothing to no, do no, with time I, I slot. I have to jump it in at this point, Robert. No, no, wait, 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 Mocky. They don't debate properly. That's oh. the problem. So Q&A only works if it debates properly and it hasn't done that for years. And weirdly, no one watches if it doesn't debate properly. They've got this wonderful, um, brilliant kind of very special, very special area that they've got in television where they could actually have debates between people, but we don't let it in case someone gets offended somewhere. And that's the problem with Q&A. Thanks, Robbo. We'll take that as a comment. Yeah, (laughs) We've discussed my special area before and there's no more mentions of that. Look, two things. I agree they don't debate properly anymore. That's absolutely part of the problem for for Q&A. There's no question. Um, Saying that when they – Twitter has always been an integral part of Q&A. Always, right from the get-go. Yeah, get but it go. didn't determine the editorial content. No, I, I and I, I agree that I think that with a change in executive producer, a change in host, though I will say that was happening before that all changed. The, 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 the listening to the social media circles became too much of a part of how they were shaping the show. And I think mm. that the strength of the original producer and the original host and the way that they ran it, at least for the first six to eight years, were here are the topics we've brought together people. You're not going to like all of them. Tony's going to basically run interference to allow the conversation to happen, and that is it. Yeah. All right. The House of the Mouse has gained another huge franchise after a deal between BBC and Disney+. Plus. It will see the Doctor regenerate onto its streaming platform. From 2023, anyone outside the UK and Ireland will have to turn to Disney Plus for new episodes of Doctor Who. The ABC has previously been the home of The Doctor in Australia for more than 50 years, almost 60, and they have assured viewers that past seasons will remain on iView. But the question is, for how long? Brookie, this is the whole reason you wanted to come on the podcast tonight. You want to talk about this deal? I'm going to let you have your say first. Stephen Brook has the floor. Look, I instinctively reacted 
against this change in, I think, probably a re- an, an emotional way. As someone who grew up with the program on the ABC, it was part of my childhood mm. tradition. I kept that going into adulthood. It was an emotional reaction. It's the sort of thing that um, uh, I would be messaging friends about. In fact, I got asked by The Age and Sydney Morning Herald to write an opinion piece about that. But then after I sort of analysed it and thought about it rationally, I decided I was against that for a whole other reason. I think it's very damaging to public service broadcasting in uh, uh, the world. The BBC clearly feels that it can't produce the program on its own anymore. It has outsourced the production of it to a company, production company that is controlled by Russell T Davies, who was the original producer behind the Mm. revival back in 2005. That production company is now owned by Sony, and now they've done this content distribution deal for with Disney Plus. And I was speaking to a source at the ABC, and they came back and said that they realised the world that they lived in meant that uh, productions were demanding more and more money up front. Um, and that was the way that, that television budgets were working, which told me a couple of things. Uh, the first and foremost of which is, is that that this is really a funding deal, not for the episodes that have already in the can that we're going to see next year, but for what happens going forward into mm. 2024, where yeah. presumably this massive deal that Disney Plus has done means that there is going to be a massive injection of money into the program which the BBC and Russell T Davies and Sony and Disney Plus are hoping will give the show a whole new lease of life. But I've never really been convinced that what Doctor Who needs is a bigger budget, which I think has been borne out by the most recent specials that looked incredibly glossy and had a lot of, uh, you know, Marvel Universe-style action sequences. But I thought were actually lacking in terms of quality and drama and with the spirit of what the show is all about. Yeah, you can't buy good content. You've still got to have good writing you and a good idea. You can buy good writers' and rooms with that, though. Yeah, you can, absolutely. But you've got to have a good driving force. And the fact is that Chris Chibnall would write five lines and then need a good lie down for a couple of months before he wrote the next five and he'd, lose, <laughs> he'd forget what he did. Wow. Um, D- did oh, we have on. a viewpoint on Seriously, Doctor Who the- has never been on so many breaks under any other showrunner than Chris Chibnall who and didn't provide great episodes. They were okay. I, having said that, I love the last episode, but the last minute of The Power of the Doctor was the most engaging, thrilling, exciting moment when David Tennant arrived. Yeah, wasn't that a sugar rush? Sure. No other Doctor Who series has had to face a pandemic for production either, but I take your point. Oh, I'm sick of that. Come on, Bullshit. They were still able to write the show. It gave him more time and he still made shit. Other shows kept going. I'm not saying Uh, that it's a a quality issue. It's just bullshit to constantly play. His first few seasons didn't have the pandemic. His first season didn't and it went off the rails. There were some great ideas, some great episodes. That is just bullshit. Uh, no, it's program, not bullshit. No other Doctor Who season had pandemic introduce, uh, interrupting its production schedule. That is Shader a fact. got cancelled because of a, a, a strike at the BBC. It never got finished production. There's always been things that get in the way of things happening. Sure. There was inflation in the 70s that crippled the budget. It used to be yep, yep. produced every week. It was taped once a week in a tiny little studio 
Oh, yeah, uh, for in sure. West London with virtually no money and nearly got cancelled because they spent too much budget on the TARDIS set. <laughs> anyway, Chibnall, Chibnall's gone, so we don't need to talk about him because Correct. we're going to the future. I've got to say, Brookie, I think this is great. And people lamenting the ABC not getting it. Here's the simple fact for the ABC. When the show was coming back in 2005, the BBC offered the ABC a partnership deal and they went, no, thanks. The ABC could have had their hooks into Doctor Who and Deeply. owned part of it. They decided not to do that, right? So the fact is we're in a commercial world and like you, I grew up watching it on the ABC, but I watch all my old Doctor Who's and the new Doctor Who's on BritBox now. I love just going through them and watching them. The fact is that we are in a different world and the BBC can't just keep doing favours to the ABC. This is a commercial venture. Disney Plus is going to give Doctor Who a whole new lease of life in terms of budgets, and I do think budgets can, in this day and age, you need to go big or go home, and so I think it's the right move with good stories, and it'll reach a whole new audience just being on Disney+, Plus, not just the budgets. I hear what you're saying. Um, let's hope that more money means a better show, which didn't really under Chibnall. We've made Agreed. that point. We've made that point. Uh, my yep. concern is, is that, in effect, you know, Disney, Netflix want to take over the world. They're like the sort of Uberization of television. They want to push out local players. They want your eyeballs. Here is a British-developed program that has been supported, yes, by the ABC for decades, which is now part of Disney's strategy to grow its global platforms uh, using content that was created by a public service broadcaster. That's something I do have a, a slight amount of concern for because I think that yeah. the BBC's original strategy was to try and use Doctor Who to help break into America and into other markets. Um, it's, not, it's, it's sort of admitted defeat on that now. It's put up the white flag and it said, Disney, you'll probably do a better job. Here you go. Agree. All right. Local news is returning to Channel 10 in Adelaide. Sort of. TV Black Box can exclusively reveal plans are well underway and Adelaide presenter Kate Freebarn will present the new standalone bulletin when it launches, but she will do so from Sydney. While 10's new Adelaide bulletin will be truly local in content, it will be switched and presented out of Sydney. If the local-ish version improves ratings, 10 will consider doing the same for the Brisbane market. Robbo, the easy thing here would be to say, this is shit. They're not doing it from Adelaide. But it is a step in the right direction, having an Adelaide-only bulletin rather than the mishmash that they currently have. Ten are trying to do it with their financial constraints. I'm actually not too worried. I don't know that it'll do them any favours because they're still not local-local, but they're, they're trying, and, and, and the new... Head of news is trying to give it a go, right? Yeah, of course. You take two steps forward and one step back, though. So this has happened yeah. so many times across all networks where they go, no, we're going to do this network, we're going to do this centralised, and then they go, oh, bloody hell, that doesn't work. We've seen it in radio as well where they try and do radio shows <laughs> from Sydney yeah. into Melbourne. It doesn't work. So there's always this wonderful big announcement where they go, we're going to do this, this will be great, we're going to centralise it, it's going to be better. And then weirdly, oh, my God, shock, horror, knock me down with a feather, it doesn't rate because it's not local, you know, and you lose all of that. So then networks come back and go, oh, actually, we're going to reintroduce it. So they spend all this money getting rid of people, then they spend all this money getting people back. It is just the, 
it's, it, it's almost like the natural order of network news in Australia. I do agree with you though, Rob. Um, if they're able to get something, you know, back into there, great. But it's no different than what's happening now, though. Uh, Jennifer Kite in Melbourne is presenting the Adelaide News in Melbourne. How is oh, it any different? Because it's all Adelaide yeah. content. And like there can be the focus on Adelaide oh, great, content oh, rather so than you're kind of proving, a segment of Adelaide. But you're and proving then my point, though, is that we've pulled it out. We're going to put it oh, back yeah, in. Yeah. We're 100%. pulling it back. We're, yeah. we're going to put it back in. Great that we're going to have the hour of yeah. uh, of local content. That's fantastic. Hour and, and an hour and a half, sorry. Um, but the the great thing is, you know, they would have fired journos like they've done in, in Brisbane. They fired a heap of journos in, in TVQ, which is where I used to work. Uh, so yeah. we're doing that classic thing of uh, sweep it out, everyone. This is going to be the – this is what's going to work. Oh, it doesn't work. We're then going to bring it back in. And then it it just it's it's this roundabout that doesn't suit anyone. And whenever yeah. someone says to to the or to the whenever someone says to the market, oh, "Look, we're going to centralise it here. We're going to you know reduce the journos." We know that in a year or two, they're going to rehire journos. Yeah. They're going to rehire producers. Yeah. They're going to do all of this again. So this this shouldn't be a massive congratulation to any network. Because he shouldn't have done it in the first place, and 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 history has shown that it doesn't bloody work. It's such it's such an interesting mess because Kate Freeban is going to spend hours on planes flying between Sydney and Adelaide, um, so that she can press the flesh locally to help boost the profile of the news service. And she she's from there anyway. But so living in she's Sydney, got family there, doing right? the news five days a week, oh, yeah. she's going to have to fly back to do all of the PR and promo and events and turn up at Correct. things yes. so that yep, she is yep, seen, yep. so that it's, yep. she's part of the Adelaide landscape. That's going to be the, the big yep. cost. Um, and I don't mean monetarily. I mean physically for Kate in having to make that go. Um, That's yeah. it. TV stars are fine. They're, they're okay. Sure, they don't fly them at the back right of the plane. Now. I appreciate that. That's it, exactly I'm just right. So, <laughs> so this kind of thing of going, oh, these news readers are having a tough life. No, they're not. Robert, they're not digging I wasn't holes. That. They're I'm not just... on the road. They're they're friggin' fine. They're oh, on good work. Yeah, you know what I mean. oh, oh. Look, we we need oh, go on. My all last I was going to get at is to say that I think it's it's a compromise, and compromises are usually never great. However. Providing mm. an opportunity for Adelaide to feel like they own their news service again is absolutely a step in the right direction. Though I agree, Robbo, shouldn't have happened to be like this in the it's first It's a merry-go-round. They've, they've felt this five or six times over the last 30 years, as have every other market. Yeah. So it's this it's this thing of going, we're going to save costs. And then the, the next person comes, oh, weirdly, we're not rating anymore. What should we do? Oh, it, it did rate, though, when we were live in the market. Okay, yeah, we'll go back yeah. in the market. It, it's we just know. a waste of time for everyone. Their big daddy Paramount is not giving them the money they need. <laughs> they are working on absolutely the whiffs oh, of an early rank. I do yeah, like to well, hear about Big Daddy, Big Daddy Paramount. Paramount uh, didn't quite have good earnings, especially in the TV no, it did market not. in their last uh, earning announcement. But, look, we've got to get to the, the big thing because one of the biggest topics of discussion at the 7 Upfront event, because there was a bit of an after-party afterwards, uh, after the presentation, I had so many high-level executives all coming up to me wanting to talk about one thing. Make sure Rob's bits and bobs don't oh, what go bullshit. Oh, God. I knew this me. was absolute was like, rubbish. I promise you. I, I was with you for some of that. That is a lie. Uh, you, weren't, yeah. you weren't with me that oh. much that night. You, you left me for dead while I was 
Oh, I've got to tell you, side Rob, note. I've been away for a while. What are your bits and bobs and where could they possibly be going? <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing a little bit of a um, Rob's bits and bobs where I just say a few things that's going on, right? But um, <laughs> And the team went, no, we didn't approve this. It's got to stop. You get too much airtime anyway. And seriously, high powerful people in the television and production industry were like, Rob, don't you dare get rid of bits and bobs. Rob's bits and bobs, it has oh. to stay. But I'm only going to touch wait, Rob, on Rob, one wait, thing Your bits week. and bobs have never satisfied anyone. So anyone. I'm just trying to... <laughs> hey, you've got three daughters. <laughs> well, apparently when I'm just talking, they satisfy, Rob. <laughs> wow. Keep going. Get, get on with it. Get Come on. on. Um, let's talk about a current affair. Uh, Kevin Perry dropped a story on TV yes. Black Box today as we record that Alison Langdon is now the front runner to take over. That's leaving Today Open, leaving Amelia Adams, who hosted Today Our Time and is now hosting tomorrow. Well, that's Friday well. morning. She'll be hosting the Today Show. Um, I actually really think it is Ellie Langdon taking over today. We always knew that it was going to be an insider at nine, it was always going to be part of the family. I think originally they were trying to avoid this. They've gone down many different paths. I, I, I know for a fact this decision has been going back oh, and bet. forth and back and forth, but I do believe they're very close and I think Kevin is right that it might be Alison Langdon, which obviously means breaking up the Today Show, but it's not number one. As no. great as Ellie and Carl are together, can someone else go into that? Well, if they don't put someone that Carl and the other person hate, I'm sure they'll be fine. It just means another false start for today, though. You know, like they have yeah. to start again, again, again. I mean, yes, but look, where did Tracy Grimshaw come from before she presented a current yes. affair? The Today Show. Where Ooh. did Liz Hayes, yep. who you could argue is nine's other most senior female journalist, she had a stint on yep. today as well. I think the requirements of the job are you need to be a well-known TV face, you need to be popular, likeable, relatable, you need to have vast experience of live television and you need to be a fantastic mm. interviewer. Is Ali Langdon all those things? I think we can confidently say yes, yes, she is. Tick, 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 and she's done 60 minutes. You missed one name, Brookie. Where did Lisa Wilkinson get? Oh, hang on. <laughs> oh, you bitch. Still to come, Koshi to remain at sunrise after he signs a big new deal. We'll find out what everyone's been watching this week. Then we'll share our thoughts on this week's group binge, Fisk Season 2, Episode 1. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches. Sunrise host David Koch has signed on with The Breakfast Show for two more years, hosting the program until at least the end of 2024. Striking up the deal with Seven CEO James Warburton, Koch said he had mentioned departing altogether before he was ultimately persuaded to stay. Persuaded. Yeah, those dollar signs. Uh, the host recently clocked up 20 years <laughs> with the program. 
Nine News reporter Lauren Tomasi has landed a new role at the network's Los Angeles Bureau. News boss Darren Wick confirmed the appointment in a note to staff, saying she was chosen for the LA role by an interview with a panel of news and current affairs executives from around Australia and overseas. She will take up her posting in the coming months. The ABC has appointed Judith Whelan to the role of Editorial Director at The Broadcaster, effective from February next year. Currently ABC Director of Regional and Local, Judith brings more than 30 years of journalism experience to the role. SEA's Tasmania's Director of Television News, Grant Wilson, has announced his intention to retire at the end of this year after a wait for it 42-year run Oof, with the broadcaster. Wow. SCA is Jesus. actively recruiting to find a suitable replacement for Wilson's role in the Tasmanian market. And some sad news to end the broadcast now. Veteran US performer Leslie Jordan has died. Best known for his roles in Will and Grace, Boston Legal, American Horror Story and social media during the pandemic, Jordan was driving in Hollywood when he crashed into the side of a building reportedly after suffering a medical emergency. Leslie Jordan dead at 67. Our hearts go out to his friends and family, but also congratulations to everyone we talked about tonight in the Hatches and Dispatches. Rob, back to you. And that's it for TV Black Box, apparently. Robbo, you said it's the end to end the broadcast. Are, are we done? Oh, hold on, to end the broadcast. I've already, I've already closed down me... Uh, me, me uh, no, right. Right. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that's the end. Um, all right. It's time to open up the TV Binge Box and find out what everyone's been watching. Brookie, what have you been watching in the past week? Well, apart from Doctor Who, which we have gone into, I found myself watching quite a bit. Hang on. Did you enjoy it? No. <laughs> I... Oh! Bang! <laughs> I actually did enjoy I it. I know, and it was interesting, and I had to sort of halfway through because it was so illogical and such a mess. Just think, Stephen, don't worry that the Cybermen suddenly cannot shoot anybody when they're invading Unit HQ and, <laughs> you know, that Ace and Tegan can run up the stairs and not get a scratch on them. Just enjoy it for what it is. Don't worry about the plot. <laughs> Don't worry about it being logical. Enjoy all the old faces. And uh, and then I thought it got a lot better. Um, anyway. That's our chibnall. Yeah, that's our chibnall. You, you're right. Anyway, um, history, as you said. I have been enjoying two mainstays of the 10 network. Quality still as good as ever. I'm talking about Gogglebox Australia. And have oh, you yes. been paying attention? Um one thing I have watched that is new that I am going to commend to the pod is the gay Netflix series Uncoupled, which is by Darren Starr, who we remember was the showrunner on Sex and the City. <gasps> I'm, I'm not sure about that, and but by the way, Brookie, we only do two shows a week, but anyway, keep going. Oh, okay. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I'm busting the format. Anyway, Uncoupled, so that is a kind of gay rom-com, I think we could call it, although it's got a very serious... Neil Patrick Harris plays the sort of loving husband. Uh, um, uh, I've got to watch a bit more because no. I sort of liked it, but it didn't quite get there for me. I well, kind of like Neil Patrick Harris, but he doesn't quite get there for me either. None of the people, smug. none of the characters were likable in the first two episodes. I think that's what we need to <laughs> emphasise. And yeah. they have a very New York obsessive neuroticism with A, themselves, B, with their wealth, C, with their lovely apartments, which... I think is a very distancing for Australian TV 
audiences, but, uh, you know, it might sort of come good. Um, I think I will stick with it, as they say. Robert, what have you been watching? I've been watching and I I just, I I adore this, The Handmaid's Tale on SBS. It is absolutely brilliant. I will say one thing, though. Is the new season holding up? Because I haven't gone to it because I was like, ah, for God's sake. Yes. You're going back in. No, no. Uh, Oh, it's so holding up. Well, well, no, no, no. I was about to go into it uh, before uh, Rob pointed that out. And, 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 uh, Moki, I don't fully agree. There are moments, though, where I'm getting very frustrated with the show. Sure. where, Where I want, where there are ample opportunities for the questions that we want asked to say Serena uh, to yep. why are you doing this? You know this is bad. Uh, this is not the right way to be. And we're not getting those moments. And every so often in in the episodes I've watched, you feel, oh, it, it, this is a great opportunity. They, they, they've set this up. And then we end the scene and we don't get those questions, those obvious questions, though, Serena, where this shouldn't be happening. This is bad for you. This is bad for everyone. Um, I, I'm probably about, I think I've watched about half of the season, uh, season so far. Very, very oh, good. Oh, mate. Um, you have got stuff to come that will probably answer some of those questions. So maybe I need to, but I would think, though, with season five with this particular show, where especially where we've been disappointed in the past, where June has had a chance to leave Gilead and she didn't, mm. where that was very frustrating, I think, for a lot of viewers, especially for me. So we accepted that. But if we're halfway through season five of this show and we're still having those kind of frustrations, that annoys me. Yeah. Just remember, though, the entire premise about it, the entire premise about The Handmaid's Tale is really June wanting to find her daughter Nicole and reunite with her husband. And it's no spoilers, she reunited with her husband but still doesn't have her daughter. Yeah. So the driving force behind this, and I'm sure we will see some resolution in Season 6. Oh, God, there's another one? Oh, for God's sake. No, 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 no. We need to see... No, no, no. We need to see some kind of resolution in these mm, in this season. Well, you need to watch the rest of the episodes that are available before you make any claims Fine. about anything, Robert. Fine. All right. Um, I have been watching Andor on Disney+. Plus. Oh, Excellent yeah. choice. Um, apparently this isn't that successful in streaming I've numbers, but yeah. I don't care. I really love it. I, I just think people are idiots if they're not watching this. <laughs> just such... Well, they are. Uh, I'd agree. <laughs> I want to watch this. Though. I've, I've read the same thing, Rob, and apparently it's 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 really quite mature um, and has really great storylines, so it's I, just I'm excited. Good. Yeah, good content. Yeah, I'm excited. It is great. Just really strong storytelling, great acting. You just get immersed in it. Um and I think pretty much everyone on this podcast has uh, suggested this next one, including most notably Matthew Simmons, who's on assignment oh, this R. week. Oh, uh, oh, the Mole on Netflix. Well, I've only watched the first episode, but, geez, they've done it well. It's really, really well done. Now, I haven't Mark, watched any of it yet. A reminder, you only get two. two. Well, following on from our special guest, no, who I feel like I'm not no, using me as a special guest. I'm not your enabler here, Mulk. Two shows. <laughs> Here's the first one. Go for it. Yeah. If I could just reinforce, um, Andor is excellent. Yeah. And um, part of the benefit to it is that this is Rob. This is your first show. Is this your number one? This is Rob's show. One down, no, one's no, we've moved on, I'm, mate. We've this, had the Andor discussion. In the same way that I talked about Handmaid's Tale with Rob, I'll talk about Andor with Rob. Can I now go and have my dinner? And, 
He's yeah, frustrated. Look at that face. He's angry. Andor is great. He's gone red. The fact that they have plotted 24 episodes, it'll be two seasons, end of story, that's it, is part of the joy. That they have just gone, here is how it's all going to happen, and they're delivering it to us perfectly. Andor is wonderful on Disney+. Plus. Oh, I'd really um, like more than two seasons, but anyway. I literally have a list of about eight shows that I want to talk about. Mute. But because I'm not allowed to, I won't. Jesus. What's the second show there, Mulch? You tried to slip them through before, Mulch. Yeah. Don't have a go at us when you've been a naughty boy. All right. What's his second show, Mulch? So my first show <laughs> is Lost for Words on SBS. The second season of that uh, finishes last night, I think it was, on SBS. Um a f- well, last week maybe, a phenomenal tale of uh, and highlighting the is- issues of uh, adult literacy and numeracy within Australia and not just for Anglo people but migrants, of course, that also come in and have to face myriad challenges uh, around their English speaking and, and you know, numeracy issues when it comes to just surviving in uh, in our country and our culture. Phenomenal. Jay, the guy's a great host. It's worth checking out on SBS On Demand. Bring your tissues. It's delightful. It's inspiring. Lost for Words season two is brilliant. Um, the other one that I want to talk about is running out on Binge and Fox Showcase right now. And this is the second season of The Vow. Um, the first season brought to light really the stuff that was going on inside the Nexium cult that made news about 12 months ago uh, when the leader of the cult, Keith Ranieri, uh, got arrested, and uh, it was filmed from the perspective of a couple of very high-profile pro- high cult members who were deeply involved in it, uh, and particularly Hang on, noting that... I love that- Nexium. Great for indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. No, that, 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 was, generally noting that, that within- was generally good. If you know, you, you know. know. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Particularly noting that within the cult... There was this sub kind of movement where Keith had convinced and coerced a whole bunch of women to get tattooed with his name near their vagina. Oh, um, and cool. that gives me indigestion. And, and I'll tell you right now. Sleep with sleep with him. Challenges to sleep with him. A very dominant, you know, subordinate kind of relationship where they had masters that were other women that they got welcomed in. Outrageous. Alison Mack formerly of Smallville, was a part of this. She also got arrested uh, and is serving time in the U.S. for it. Keith oh, Ranieri yeah. very recently um, had his sentence handed down. He does intend to appeal, um, and he got a sizable chunk of time. Um, and all of it is incredibly laid out very well. In fact, they look to, in the, in the view of the court cases, which is what the second season focuses on, they look at it from uh, the point of view and perspective of, the, the woman that was effectively his enabler and partner in setting up uh, what was meant to be like a personal development business and how she swings from feeling like she was duped and um, lied to and didn't understand what was going on to swing back the whole other way where she's just mortified at what went on effectively in her name. Mm. Um, it is compelling viewing. If you didn't see season one, it's all on Fox Showcase and on Binge. Sorry, Foxtel and Demanded on Binge. Season two is happening right now. I think it's on Monday nights uh, on Fox, and it is just gobsmacking. And, it, and it's called Nexium. No, it is called The Vow. 
No, sorry. I vow not to have indigestion. Thank you, Nexim. Yes. Nexim.com.au. Uh, that actually sounds really interesting, and I'm going to take your advice on that. Um, all right. Our group binge this week was Fisk Season 2, Episode 1. Mug, this was your choice. Do you want to set it up for us? Am I allowed to talk about it or is it considered my third or what's the... No, no, if if we're actually counting, this will be considered your fifth. So, yes, let's just go (laughs) with your binge. I'm yet to begin, my friends. Uh, Season two of the award-winning ABC comedy Fisk, written by, directed by and starring Kitty Flanagan as Helen Tudor Fisk, the once great Sydney-based solicitor who has fallen from grace and ended up in a very meagre um, solicitor firm in in uh, Melbourne called Gruber and Associates. Uh, she is struggling to find herself separated from her husband in a whole new city, in a whole new situation. It is simply delightfully hilarious comedy. Uh, Kitty Flanagan won a Logie. The series uh, has won an Actor Award. She also won an Actor Award for Best Comedy Performer. And it also won beating a whole bunch of big European and uh, American comedies. It won um, Series Mania for the Best Scripted Comedy last year for season one. So it comes with a great pedigree. Now, if that doesn't convince you... Let me tell you just how well it's doing in the ratings. Uh, on average, between 450 and 550,000 viewers, five city oh, metro, per, every Wednesday That's night brilliant. that it's been on. It's only been on yep. two or three episodes now, or two episodes actually. Two. And in total TV, it's doing nearly 60% uplift so that last week's episode has gone up to 1.184 oh, million that makes me viewers. Happy. That's, That's pretty brilliant. Impressive. Mate, it is. Stunning. The cast, Kitty Flanagan as Helen Tudor Fisk, Helen Tudor Fisk. Um, Marty Sheargold as Ray Gruber, the boss of the Great, uh, the organisation. Yep. Uh, Julius Amiro, stunning as Roz, his sister and also co-owner of Gruber and Associates. Aaron Chen as their receptionist. Uh, and if you've never seen Aaron stand up live, it is incredible. He is brilliant in this. And uh, just a a revolving door of Australian comedy uh, actors and comedians in guest hosting, guest roles, um, including um, this first episode of season two, where we get to see, and I don't want to miss it, um, Denise Scott steps in, Harley Breen steps in, and in this season alone, we're going to see Rob Sitch return to our screens for the first time in nearly seven years. Excellent. Geez, that's one hell of a press release the ABC sent you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what press release? <laughs> it's a joke because you guffed about it. What did you think of it? You wanted me to set it up. <laughs> I've set it up. It's fucking brilliant. Watch it. It was good. It wasn't that great. As a first episode back, I thought uh, there were some wonderful moments yep. in it, the central plot. Yep had uh, yep. by the end of it the denouement, if I can use that word, was highly improbable and kind of broke the warm spell that I had had. Um, I think the quality has slipped a little from the first series based on that first episode alone. Hopefully it will prove me wrong. Brookie, I was about to say that it feels like they're taking the easy option. I mean, this woman should just get down on the floor and be a floor mat because everyone's walking all over her in such a massive way that they could start whipping her and she'll just stand there and take it. The, the You know, the photocopier in the office, um, 
it's just like at what point does she say that no, enough is enough? Nobody would put up with that. It is ridiculous to think that she would keep working under those conditions. And I get that there's you, comedy you know it's value not a documentary and that it goes role, right? over the top with comedy. But I just feel like there's. it was such a good first series and I had laughs in this episode, but I came away disappointed. Sure. I mean, you know, it's as I said, it's not a documentary; it's a, a comedy, fictional comedy series. Um, and and look, it, it, I, I hear all of the points, and I'm, I'm not here to defend them. No, no, I agree with Malk. When's it, Uncle Daddy Robbo's turn to talk about this show? Now, Robbo, what did you think? I loved it. Yeah, but you obviously, like if you've ever watched the episodes, and you know. Oh, hang about. If you've ever watched a sitcom in your life, there are kind of outrageous ideas and outrageous kind mm. of plot points. This was fantastic. I loved it. I think this is great. I love the first season. I think this is really worthy of everything that it's getting, both awards and ratings. I hope it gets more the throughout the season. The coffee shop replacement it's was really funny. funny. I liked that and how she still had to get the $1 cup of coffee. There were great moments. The photocopier bothered me because I'm just like, you've got to draw the line somewhere. And if she's not drawing the line there, but then you don't have the comedy. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Based on that info, based on that idea, the majority of Seinfeld no, episodes don't work for true. you then, because it's in well, the, then it's, it's in the, the same realms kind of, of thing. their reality. This is a, a, this is a smart, educated woman who has a lawyer's degree, who doesn't say to her boss. You can't put that photocopier in here. No, but that's been, set up in, that's been set up in season questioning one. Herself. She doesn't have that. Yeah. Look, I think it's fantastic. I think it's really funny. I've got a big crush on Aaron Chen. I would watch his Twitch, yeah. uh, and I, I, I think that's a streaming service, mm-hmm. but I would watch him Twitch uh, as long as he wanted to Twitch in front of me. I think that uh, he is very funny. I think that everyone's very funny in this. This is a great show and should be supported and congratulated and celebrated. That's all we've got time for on this week's episode of TV Buck Boss. Fantastic to have uh, Brookie, Mulkey and myself. We'll be back next week Am to talk about sad? actual television that's brilliant. All the best to everyone. We'll see you next week. Uh, thanks, we'll Robbo. The next TV Buck Switch is going to be a bit of free-to-air TV. Our next group binge, what? like that? Fisk, this Don't is going to be my mum, your dad on Channel oh, 9. no. What are you doing? Is that even we are going I'm to take the social experiment week. and see what it is, how it does, and whether it makes good TV. But how do we watch Sorry? it? It's called. It's actually called My Mum Roots Your Dad, Robbo. That's what it is. It's on nine seven thirty. Suddenly, I'm back It's on Monday night. It's up against um, uh, Channel Seven. Of Drop their disruptor. That's what they're calling This Is Your Life. It's a disruptor that they can put anywhere to go up against new shows because it does well in the Oof. ratings. Um, so, yeah, we're going to watch My Mum, Your Dad. I watched the Ray Ma version of This Is Your Life uh, overproduced, but Seven overproduces stuff and they have done for about the last 20 years. They over, overproduce. But I actually quite enjoyed what they did with This Is Your Life in, in that way. But stop well, overproducing Well, I'll give you a things. bit of inside gossip because I ran to, into none other than Melissa Doyle at the ACRA Awards, love, the Radio Awards, love which, Mel- side love note, love their opener was better than anything the Logies has done in the last 10 years. The ACRA's opener, the way they integrated the industry and it was actually funny, I died for it, died. But Melissa Doyle said some of those episodes can go three to five hours of recording. That's yeah, why they're, they're a lot of it has to get chopped down into those sure. moments. Oh, oh, sorry. Man, explain to me again how television works. 
I just really needed to know how that. So, so you shoot a lot of stuff, but you have got to cut it down, have you? Oh, thank God, ladies and gentlemen, we've got an exclusive here tonight. When well, you broadcast and make that. television, you need to cut it down sometimes. You thank you, Bobby. Some, some, it's quite entertaining, but I want to go and have some dinner. Do you, do you know what? That was. I'll, that's a fair cop. I'll tell you that. All right, that is the TV Black Box podcast finish? for another. What did you? I literally had some breaking news. I need to share about the. This is your life episode. Oh, go ahead. I didn't realise. I've been trying to say it for the past three minutes. In breaking news about particularly the Rebecca Gibney episode, because they did sizzle that and another uh, This Is Your Life at the Seven Upfronts, um, obviously done at the time, so it's coming. But I have learned on good authority that they've actually managed to edit into uh, the This Is Your Life episode a complete episode of Pack to Your Rafters. Oh. Wait, what? Just move on. What? I, I don't get the joke. That was the a, thing's oh. so fucking long, they put a whole episode oh, of the show no, in the no, show. No, no. It was real, so I was thinking wow. that it was real, so I didn't Jeez, react. Really, really good you pushed and got upset to get that one in, Malky. Thanks for that. All right, that brings it us was going to be fine if it got in the first six times I interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> for more TV insights, go to tvblackbox.com.au. It's where people in the industry get their news. Brookie, it's been fabulous to have you back. Now you know why Yay, you don't come Brookie. along. It's been very... Thank you, team. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs> it's been very. I have no words. It's been shit. Thank you, team. <laughs> so Melbourne. So thank you, Melbourne. Mark. Thank you, Robbo. We'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.